Thanks for listening to the Petapixel podcast. Catch new episodes every week on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to the Petapixel podcast. I'm Chris Nichols, and I'm joined by my lovely co-hosts, Jordan Drake hey! and Jaron Schneider. How are you guys doing? Am I a co-host, or am I just, just this guy you know? You, yeah, you're a co-host. If your you, face is up on the screen, you have co-host status. <laughs> slash Same producer, size slash, as our face. Actually, even slightly bigger face than Chris's. So There you yeah. go, right? Whoever's your role is now elevated. Camera. Yeah, <laughs> see? Now I'm the most important one. <laughs> And, uh, you know, today we've got a really amazing main story because, well, you know, this was an experience that we did. Our video just went live. We had an opportunity to go up uh, to Beale Air Force Base in California, the home of the U-2 spy plane recon program. And uh, Blair went up into the edge of space and took amazing photos. That video is live. And I mean, if you haven't checked it already, please do. But it's significant because all three of us were on that shoot together. We basically created this documentary and it's work that we're really proud of. Hey? So yeah, we're going to go through some of the behind the scenes. I'm already having some people asking technical questions and things like that. The process, and it's different from anything we've ever done before. <laughs> so I think we need to, have, you know, discuss yep. how we made that all work out. Dig into it. Talk about what it was like shooting your first doc. We also got a couple other news stories we'll we'll talk about quickly before getting to that. And then, of course, we won't forget all of y'all with your questions. We do have some tech support tech and support. regular comments to get through as well. But... We really do want to talk about making a doc, so let's uh, let's get started. Let's get to it. This week's podcast is brought to you by OM System. With the hot temperatures of summer winding down, there's no better season for outdoor photography than autumn. Fall colors, crisp morning air, and golden light all set the stage to capture portfolio-worthy images. The OM System OM5 is the ultimate companion for the outdoor enthusiast. Built to endure your adventures, this mid-range mirrorless camera is a rugged marvel with its weather-sealed body to safeguard against dust, water, and extreme temperatures, ensuring unmatched durability. On a side note on this, actually, I don't feel like it's... I mean, people know, but I don't think they know enough. Like, just exactly how rugged... Like, people say a rugged camera, and they just assume that... <laughs> Everyone you know, just like, throws that around willy-nilly. Yeah, like, okay. Like, it's... You, when you when you see, like, another company, they'll say, like, it's, it's like, you know, protected, weather-resistant, yeah. or, like, somewhat weather-sealed then there's an asterisk and then the bottom says not sealed against all weather or something like that. <laughs> um, the way that they test the OM5 is crazy. The amount that you can actually get on this thing, like the amount of dust and water that it protects against is, and it's, they actually give it a rating for that, which almost no camera manufacturers do. I think it's just Leica and OM system. Yeah. Outside that. of like action cameras inside of like the housings yeah. and whatnot, but no yeah. interchangeable lens cameras typically can do this. So, so it's super neat. I always like to point this out because like when, People like have made that scene. They've like dumbed down the term weather resistant. Like, I, that doesn't mean anything to most people anymore. But like OM systems cameras are legitimately yeah. uh, weather resistant. 
I can speak I mean, we this always... week. Um, Chris, we were just shooting a uh, product we can't talk about yet. Uh, no. And it was raining and it was terrible. I looked like a drowned rat. I took a selfie. Maybe I'll fire that <laughs> off to you, Jaron. Yes, please. And our, all of our A camera gear was in the bag. But, you know, if if we'd had an OM camera out there, I would be a lot less worried about just yeah. grab it, go, keep on shooting. As opposed well, you know, to like, we... let's take five so I can be sad until the rain <laughs> stops. We'd always, I, I was wearing waders and a rain proof jacket and I was dry as a, as a bone. It was great. Um, cause I was prepared, but uh, you know, we always want to make videos of where you do like weather sealed cameras and you know, it'd be great splash them with a garden hose and cover them in dust and stuff. But the problem is like you mentioned, I mean, the manufacturers are so vague about it that they probably won't let us do that anyways. Cause they might get a broken camera back and be really mad at us. That's never but, happened before. Right. Never. Exactly. But with, <laughs> uh, let's not go there, Nikon. But with um, with the OM cameras, I mean, I've been using them out Riverside for years and uh, they've stood up to the abuse in a real world situation, right? Where we are getting rain and and splashes of water and, and driven over by trucks and they've all survived. So I can attest to that durability because I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Well, the OM5 offers advanced technology in addition to that durability to create stunning image quality and exceptional performance in any condition from breathtaking landscapes to action-packed moments the om5 empowers you to embrace your adventurous spirit while preserving the memories of your journey learn more about the om5 and the highly respected m zuiko lens series by visiting explore.omsystem.com slash petapixel thanks, thanks again OM to for uh, yeah sponsoring this episode yeah took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna quickly get through two news stories that i just wanted to get your guys input on before we jump to what we really want to talk about which is yes. you know space um so uh one of our editors our senior news editor matt grokut uh he has been had been using a dslr his 5d mark three mm-hmm. since 2014 that was like he'd been he'd been just <laughs> continuing on with the same camera and he recently got the opportunity to use an r6 2 and his experience like just reading what it was like to jump to that was like to me unique because for from at least our perspective this would never have happened as yeah. reviewers we we saw the gradual growth of mirrorless <laughs> cameras from dslrs over the past 10 or so years and like so to see the stark jump in tech from a dslr to where we are now i thought that this story really put some perspective on like when people say that my camera you know they, they get into these camera wars but like these cameras are all so incredibly good yeah this isn't even like canon's top of the line camera and he was just like blown away by how much he, more he could do with it than his 5d mark three you know I don't want to. I don't want to patronize Matt, but is it fair to say that the article was adorable? Like yeah. <laughs> reading the article, I was like, he's like, oh, I've never I been able to, is good. I, you're right. I could <laughs> never take shots like this on my five D. Like it was, it was like a revelation. And I'm going to interrupt anyways, uh, I, whether you guys want me to or not. But uh, Jaron, did you watch Demolition Man? Oh no. Oh, Dude. why not? I, okay. Okay. For so those listening, you can't <laughs> see it, but anyone who's watching can see the shambles of my life behind me. I'm, <laughs> I am mid-move here. I do not have time to do anything oh. other than put things in boxes and put those boxes into other larger boxes. 
when you're stressed out is the perfect time to take your brain offline for like an hour and a half and watch Demolition Man. So to give context, you know, we were talking about this article in this in the meeting, our morning meeting. And I was like, oh, Matt, it's like Demolition Man all over. It's like you woke up 30 years later and the world's completely changed. And uh, only Jeremy, uh, our other uh, senior writer, had seen that movie. So you guys need to watch it. Anyways, great movie. <laughs> totally poignant to this whole thing. And uh, moving Not from a poignant, DSLR to mirrorless. Maybe pertinent, but I think that's even debatable. <laughs> no, no, no. Mo- <laughs> moving from a DSLR to a mirrorless camera is like Sylvester Stallone defeating Wesley Snipes and saving the future world. So, Jaron, you're now apparently on the list where Chris gets mad at you every time you see him for not watching his movie recommendation. Yes. So, enjoy. <laughs> this is the rest of your life now. There's oh. an easy way to get off that list. Just watch the movies that I recommend. Gosh, okay. Goodness. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly flattered that I'm on this list now that I get be. harassed. Um, <laughs> at, at any rate, uh, what I thought, why I thought that this was a really good story when he originally pitched it was... Um, I have cannot tell you the number of events I've been to, just regular events, not related to the camera industry, just going somewhere and watching the photographers that are shooting it, how many of them are still using mm-hmm. DSLRs? Because why would yeah. they change? They're they're still working just fine. They're used to them. They're tried and true. Like the, the D850 is probably, or D810, I can't even remember which one it is now. That, that's probably <laughs> one of the most common cameras that still exists. Yeah, It's an amazing um, camera. 5D Mark III. The 5D Mark IV didn't, I don't think, sold that well. I don't think I see very many of those. But the Mark III is just, like, still out there. So it's like, for those of you who are like, I don't need a new camera, I don't know, try reading what what Matt's experience (laughs) was. Still... I was surprised, like so many rebels and stuff. Like, I think a lot of people still associate the SLR as like the de facto choice if you're serious about photography. So I see a lot of like people getting into it, their family members or, you know, what they're buying SLRs because they feel like that's what you do. And, uh, you know, I know there's gonna be people saying, oh, you guys are pushing mirrorless and you don't respect uh, the heritage and the tradition of an SLR. And of course we do. But there are serious advantages going to a mirrorless camera. And I think this article spells it out really nicely. I think it's really funny. Uh, you published on Petapixel, I think it was uh, Jeremy wrote it, about a little animation on explaining photography that was like a hilarious cartoon. <laughs> but then throughout, they're like, grab your DSLR, and this thing came out two days ago. <laughs> like, it's still synonymous with, like, interchangeable lens camera is a DSLR. Look, my though, guess is yeah. he knows, the guy from Casual Explained knows it's not called a DSLR, but also knows that most humans don't know what mirrorless means. They just exactly. hear DSLR, yeah. and they understand that that means camera with pro he power. just said camera but anyway so no I, it's but I pronounced, think that's that's so common it's pronounced dizzler as well i, I knew you're gonna say straight. something when you said it's pronounced and you didn't get it all the way out i'm like he's gonna say something weird it's <laughs> <laughs> i will link to that casually explained video too because it's if you haven't seen it it's pretty it's funny. great <laughs> um all right other story i wanted to mention because these are still happening uh an international photo competition uh specifically the international pet photographer of the year awards uh, has been put under pressure for allowing their own judges to enter and also win said competition. <laughs> uh, if this sounds familiar, to some of you it might, years ago, uh, Sal Sincata, who had his own competition, uh, he wasn't a judge, but he owned the competition and, and employed everyone there, entered and also won his own competition. So it's a similar <laughs> situation as that. Um, in both cases, they defended it saying it was industry standard or whatever. We went and looked. It is definitely not. Uh, yeah. This is not so- something that's normal. So just worth bearing in mind that 
some competitions uh they don't necessarily understand yeah like what's right and like how to actually maintain a good competition i mean the they justified it by saying you know we spell it out very clearly in the rules what's allowed you know how the judges can accuse you know recuse themselves from judging on photos that they have or that other judges they know have stuff like that but I, I think it's a word of warning for any photo competition that you get into. It's always so important that you read the fine print because they're all over the place and the rules are all over the place. And like usage rights for photography that you, that you uh, submit, you know, those can be very interesting. Like we have full rights to your photos for a year, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you got to be really careful before just entering photo competitions. Um, on the flip side though, this sounds like a competition. Like I've judged some competitions. I would totally go in one where I could win as a judge <laughs> and not have to have any sort of like credibility or skill. I could just, I think that's great. So I was trying to think kind of, of contest. I was trying to think of like a real athletic parallel and like, wouldn't it be great at the Olympics if one of the judges like quickly threw on a swim cap, jumped in, did a dive, ran back to the booth as quick as possible and <laughs> gave himself a 10 out of 10. Uh, that's what we're looking at. For photography. Or even if they don't aren't allowed to give themselves a 10 out of 10, they just give everybody else a three out of 10 and then they're five out, <laughs> then they're five out of 10 wins, right? Like, yeah. yeah, that's kind of the issue here. That's the conflict of interest. Yeah. 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 There was someone who said, oh uh, yeah, one of the comments on this story said, those of us in the juried art show world just shrug at this. I watched one show yeah. director stand at a podium of an awards banquet and hand the best of show award to herself. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That doesn't make it all right. It's still our job to point out that this is not okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you you held their feet to the fire there. You were you were putting hot coals in their sensitive places there, Jaron. They well, it wasn't yeah. me. It was Jeremy. Jeremy Gray Jeremy, once again, yeah. one, probably our, yeah. our our best investigative reporter at this point, right now. He's he's definitely yeah, he, uh, leading the way. But he uh, he essentially got them to to admit that this was probably not a good idea. They didn't quite admit to it the way that they probably should have, but they're changing the rules next year so that judges can't win. Um, yeah, so well, there you go. Nice. Right. Jeremy well, making a difference every day. <laughs> it should be noted that this competition is several years old. However, this year was the first time it was being operated by a different owner. Like they bought right. the rights to it and changed the rules. And I don't think, I think they just and will never do that again. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one, I'm pretty sure like, well, some you can point to basically like, okay, you, you, you knew what you were doing. I think these people just did not have the experience necessary to run a competition to know what they can and can't do. <laughs> That's my opinion. Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. All right. That's it. Let's, <laughs> let's talk, talk about, about the documentary. Jordan, you want, I think you should take this. Let's, let's, let's go. We're going to talk a little bit about how this was your first documentary and then all a bunch of little questions that we've, we've come up with. And then any that you've seen in the comments that you want to address so far, go take, yeah, take it. I'm, it's all yours. I mean, the first thing I really want to touch on is the timeline. Cause this is really interesting. We shot this right after publishing our last video for DP review in the window before we were publishing for Petapixel. And this was supposed to be our second episode. Like if you go back and watch <laughs> our first one, we're like, and get ready. Cause we're going to drop some <laughs> documentary heat. And then yeah, four months later, I finally get to talk about it, which is awesome. But I, that was an opportunity that I almost never get in that I could like, we spent, you know, three days shooting it. And then I got to spend a week before we went to Yellowstone to start working on Nikon stuff. I actually got to like, chop consistently, like do a lot of editing, um, which is a huge change. Cause for the last few years, I've just been going and going and going, you know, everything has to be accomplished in three days or so. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, a really 
cool, interesting change for me. Um, but then the other thing too is like Chris and I have done some like shorter docs. Like we did that uh, thing about the most expensive camera in the world in Germany, right. Chris. Um, but I'd never worked with a second shooter, uh, which was very initially stressful for me. Um, cause Chris was <laughs> co-directing and a camera operator as well. Like, how did you find that Chris? Yeah, I didn't know how that was going to go. Uh, <laughs> that was that was kind of up in the air. I mean, first off, yeah, like it was such a big change. Our first thing being like, Darren's like, oh, we got this big project. Unlike anything you've ever done before. And absolutely was that. So that was actually really exciting. I mean, camera reviews are, of course, the most thrilling content in the world. But uh, not only to watch, but to also wow. produce. But no, I mean, sure there. I'm not being sarcastic at all. But like this was taking a look at photography and its actual application as opposed to the gear to do it. And that's, what's really amazing about the experience, not to mention the fact that it is like almost literally a cosmic experience. So I was obviously nervous. It's like, this is a big project. We haven't really done anything like this before. Jordan and I worked together for so many years, but never with this kind of uh, dynamic. I think you could agree, right? Mm -hmm. You know, where Jordan has to trust me, which I know is very difficult. And, uh, and you know, we, we had to go back and forth on what kind of story we want to tell and what kind of shots we want to achieve. And I think we planned it out really well. We talked to Jaron a lot about that too. Um, but it was neat. We kind of went into it with different ideas of, of I'm going to have my role. You're going to have your role. And I think that worked out well. I wanted to focus on longer shots, trying to capture like moments that tell the story um, Sorry, by longer, you mean longer focal lengths, right? Like longer Chris was focal lengths, yeah. Telephoto you man. Know, absolutely. Whereas Jordan was going to do more movement, more wide angle, capture the environment. I was going to try to capture more like the emotional set pieces. And I kind of <laughs> approached it. Well, that's not, a, I mean, you know, and, and I, we both did. Come on. But I think um, I approached it almost like we're shooting a wedding, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like, you got to get certain beats, you got to get certain emotional things, you want to tell a story, it is high stress, it is high stakes. Um, There's no so, yeah, redos. The, if you no miss it, you missed it, it's over. It was an exciting project to work on, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a few things um, I just want to highlight kind of like in that working that way. First of all, Jaron did something really smart and said, like, I've done Blair shoots before. You guys need to have a structure and like planned out. And I think talking to Chris and kind of planning it out, if you watch the doc, the structure is fairly unconventional. Like it's not a linear, here's what happened, nope. then this happened, then this happened. We took it more from the perspective of like, what is it like, um, like for us or for Aaron, uh, Blair's wife, you know, what is our perspective? Like he goes up and then you just wait, you have no idea. And when he comes back down, you still don't know exactly what happened until we got that footage later, uh, and to end on it. Um, I think it was a real risk and I actually waffled a little when I was putting together this final edit about cross cutting in some shots of Blair up while we were talking about him being up there. But uh, I don't know. I think it gives it a very kind of unique dynamic. I mean, I'm sure the comments will let me know by the end of the day, uh, <laughs> whether or not that was a good decision or not. But I, I thought it was kind of a fun um, challenge there. And I do want to just quickly tell one story about that, where the dynamic was a little bit, uh, we were trying to sort it out. So Jaron will remember this very clearly is uh, when Blair was taking off, uh, I was going to be in the chase car. Chris was going to be on the telephoto shooting him taking off. 
And at the last minute, Chris jumps into the chase car and it's like, well, we have to go. We have to go. Like, you're supposed to be back at the thing. He's like, no, no, no. I got an idea. I got an idea. And I'm like <laughs> losing my mind, but I, I, I've got like this pilot right beside me. So I can't be like you, you know, losing it at Chris in that moment. So I'm like, great. We have no footage of him taking off. This is a train wreck. Uh, Jaron scampered over, put a GH6 right beside the wing. So we'd have some footage of that moment. And Chris got some telephoto grabs of the plane taking off. But the important thing is after Blair was up in the air, Chris interviewed uh, Nova, one of the pilots, and it wound up actually being one of my favorite parts of the entire documentary. Uh, so he had a plan in that moment. I just didn't know what the plan was. And in the future, <laughs> I'm going to have to be more trusting that uh, he is making a decision based on the narrative as you opposed to it. wanting to go really zippy fast in a car because it's fun, which is what yeah, I thought you know, the moment. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say, I was with you, Jordan. I was like, oh, I remember we were both did they furious, go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, one was supposed to stay here and I'm alone. Yeah. yeah. Now, to be fair, to be fair, um, part of that also was the, the staff were saying like, oh, that plane is going to be taking off over there. And we had to go quite far to get it. Like it wasn't like an option to run back and capture the other plane. But yeah, you know, the pilot's like, we got to go now. And so it was just like, ah, okay, let's get in the car and do it. So, you know, it worked out. Yep. Everybody heard it. Jordan has to trust me more. (laughs) Maybe even Jaron too. And it turned out beautifully. And again, it was really, it's like I wanted, Nova's a really cool guy. He was, we were talking, I was talking to him about the program. I was talking to him about, um, the YouTube planes and the whole thing before we got into the car and having that conversation, it was kind of, it inspired me to be like, I got to get footage of this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they weren't letting us loud. do a stand up interview with him. Yeah. No, you had it's to, way you, too loud. His, it, yeah. That. And also the, their identities, they He's typically don't, they don't want them out there as much as they can. They want to try and keep that down, yeah. which is why you shot it in a rearview mirror. Right. Because they allowed you yes. to do that, but you can't, actually see his face which was a very good and smart decision yes yeah i I have to agree with jordan i loved that interview and that actually was like i had the same kind of reaction he was like oh that's really good okay i guess i guess chris just made a judgment call because his story was so cool uh and it was interesting i mean one of the things that's kind of dynamic about working on the military base in that in that regard like the security is super tight obviously that was very strange we'll talk more about that and Everybody was really kind, but you could always tell in the background, there's like this sense of, um, you know, you can't shoot that. Keep them away from this. Don't yeah. let them see this. Yeah, and there was know, a like, whole thing they didn't let us see and they didn't want us to oh, do man. no shooting of it at all. Yeah, there's secret airplanes I'm there guessing we can't even describe and... what we saw. No, no can't look, don't even look over there. They're like, don't look at it. Look yeah. over there. What's what's they that have, giant thing over there? Just you know, it's fine. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. We don't There's talk about there. the giant thing. Don't don't talk about the giant thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> giggle, giggle, laugh, laugh. Right. So, um, it was it was quite dynamic having to work in that environment. I mean, the liaison staff were all part of the press corps for the USAF. There, they were great. I mean, they're really nice, very friendly, but at the same time hurting us and and wrangling us very well. Like we couldn't go down a door or hallway without them. Yeah, we we us had escorts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, on that it was note, I knew that there were points where I was going to need to do something. So this was right around the uh, the Leica monochrome yeah. launch. Um, so when you anyone who read that review, or at least the hands on, and there's pictures of Chris, those are like the first pictures of Chris that it were on Petapixel after yeah. they had come over from DP Review. Those were taken in the backyard of the Airbnb we were staying at during this project. <laughs> and like, I knew I needed to get this out, but I'm like, I 
figure I'll be able to work somewhere at the base. I can go up and I can, I can, you know, borrow some internet, sit at a table and work for about an hour, get the story, you know, prepared and whatever. No, they wouldn't even let me access the internet from that base. <laughs> I can't yeah. plug in anywhere. There's, there's no Wi-Fi, nothing. The, yeah. the security is so tight there. So they had to assign me to a break room with someone from the base and I had to tether to my phone. That was all they allowed me to do. And that's how I wrote that story while I was being watched by someone. <laughs> and they're the learning days. so much about the Leica monochrome before <laughs> yeah. Fargo. So they look over your shoulder. The person who was there was actually asking me, like, so what do you do? Oh, cameras? Can you talk about cameras? They, like the, the things that I <laughs> cool. was saying to her, they're just like, oh, that's so neat. That's like, I'm and then Jerry was like, I'm sorry, this camera view is highly secretive. It's that classified. Definitely very classified. <laughs> You're not allowed to uh, be right. Wow. I would have is to have this a how you guys actually think of me? That's how I am. I'm just like pompous. <laughs> I pump my chest out. Um, but you know in in usual fashion we worked our asses off you know i mean we're only there for a few days we're writing the m11 monochrome taking sample photos making this documentary and so i'm just amazed that it all came together and we pulled it off and we did a great i think we did a great project i think let's let's briefly touch about some of the things that happened that were not really related to shooting just things that were happening there for example i'll start jordan i know you security blockade (laughs) i know jordan has something he wants to mention about it um but for me uh i caused significant damage to my mom's car so while we, while we were <laughs> i there, was wondering if we were gonna bring this up <laughs> so I, I borrowed my mom's subaru uh she lives in, in the in the bay area so when i flew down i'm like well rather than rent a car i mean i can just borrow my mom's car and when that, that'll be easier because it's a big it's a big vehicle and uh we, we got to like one of the gates we were going to which was later i learned was the incorrect gate yeah. Uh, we then, uh, I backed up when I didn't need to, while we were waiting for like a security system to like move. So like the car in front of me, I thought was going to back up because it was barricaded, but they were moving the barricade. Anyway, I backed up and there's like a concrete little wall, half wall, not even a half wall. I mean, oh, it's like it was high. Yeah. Not Impossible yet. to see. Impossible not your fault. See. Not your fault, Taryn. I backed up and it just dragged into the rear door. The sound will haunt my dreams. It was, it was <laughs> crunchy and I looked at it. I was like, oh, that doesn't look that bad well it got worse throughout the day because it was as the door opened and closed it, we ended up having to replace the entire door uh yeah. that and by we i mean me and i got to pay for that that was lovely uh that 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 <laughs> terrible and my they, mom they but you got a producer yeah. credit for it so oh, it all balances yeah, out right jared <laughs> <laughs> they should have um, had a pole with an orange flag or something it was yeah uh, they, there needed yeah. to be a cone there <laughs> I, anyway um that was Jordan. the first test to see yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um how are you feeling during the shoot, Jordan? Uh, so I almost forgot until I was talking to Jaron the other day. I was a disaster. Uh, I was so sick. Um, no, I was testing because I was like, I can't give Blair COVID right before he goes to space. Um, but yeah, I was trying to keep my distance and it was just a bad cold. But yeah. uh, I was like any other day I would have been like, no, I'm way too sick to go shoot today. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you guys are on your own, but this was like the most important thing. So I did totally just suck it up, but yeah, felt like garbage. I think I went to bed like eight o'clock the oh, first yeah. night that we got there. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it, it was horrendous, but, and it's, I, that does happen a lot. Like I always say, whenever I'm doing a film, like the last day you get sick. Cause it's just so much stress and, you know, not, being able to relax and everything like that. But this happened right from the start and all the way through. So, uh, but yeah, Yeah. it, it was terrible. I knew (laughs) you were sick, 
but I had no idea how sick you. You did a very. I good was job really hiding. trying to like mask that. Yeah, um, that whole time because I didn't want Blair concerned about it. But then if I would speak, it would be immediately apparent that I was on <laughs> death's door. Yeah, so well. I let Chris do a lot of the talking for me there. Yeah, did your voice disappear for about 24 hours or it was like really gravelly, I lost right? it almost completely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my <laughs> voice was shot. So <laughs> You were a so trooper then because that, that is crazy. Chris, don't get in the chase car. Chris, don't get in the chase car. <laughs> yeah, that's what I didn't me. hear him. I didn't even hear him say it. Uh, we, okay. Uh, some other stuff I wanted to, to talk about. So I'm sure everyone wants to know what cameras you shot with yes. and why did you pick these cameras? Uh, I'll go first because I didn't really shoot any video. I shot entirely on a Canon R5 and a Canon R3 uh, with a 70 to 200 and a 24 to 70. Those were my two. I was on one body each hand, one with each focal length. And that's what I chose yeah. for photojournalism well, duties. It's also worth pointing out, Jaron, like you were helping Mike set up the GoPro setup, yes. which are the only cameras that we had for the flight, which is the pivotal, you know. Yeah. And I do want to point dock. out, like there seems to be some misunderstanding. Those cameras weren't taking pictures. Like people were like, oh, those views we're seeing out the window are from the GoPro. No, those are not from the GoPro. And I also want to point out, not every one of the GoPros you can see in the footage is actually working. Uh, yeah. We only managed <laughs> to get like the most important ones working. Um, it was an absolute cluster. Uh, so I kind of touch on this in the story I wrote on Petapixel, but like we weren't able to get access to the U2 that we were actually going to fly in until like an hour before it was going to go in the air hour, two hours max. And so while Blair is getting suited up, Mike and I are supposed to go set up the GoPros in this thing. And to this point, we haven't even had enough time to look at how much space we have and where they can go. So like we knew we had, we, we were working with GoPro with the GoPros themselves. They were like custom firmware, which allowed them to operate without any battery in the compartment because the battery was going to overheat them. So we needed to pull those out and then power them with external batteries, but only certain external batteries were rated to actually work. So we only had a couple of them and then they had limited life as well. Um, So the, the setup was we needed to get them in there. We needed to figure out how to stick them in there. We needed to do it quickly and we needed to make sure that they were prepared and had power. That's why we only managed to get like a couple working because we just did not have the time added to that. Mike got pulled away halfway through it. He was like, (laughs) they need Blair needs something from his camera bag and camera bag of course is with us with the U2. So he needed to get in a car and drive all the way to where Blair was, which was not really close to the hangar, leaving me basically like, ah, I don't know. These aren't mine. I didn't do any of this setup. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, so like he did eventually come back and, and correct my work, which is great because I, I don't think I would have done a successful job. Because uh, I, I just can't jump into the middle of something and set cameras up and expect them to be done correctly. Yeah. Well, and you know there had been so much discussion about yeah placement settings, all that kind of stuff. That yeah, we what are we allowed to show? Like, yeah. so we actually wanted to put yeah. GoPros in the front cockpit too, where yes. the pilot was, and it's just like, no, he can't see if you put a GoPro there. Like the the only place <laughs> that it would fit would be like right in front of him. Everything yeah. else he needs access to, like all the controls and things, and he wouldn't be able to see out the front window if we put a GoPro there. So. That ended up not, we didn't get any footage there. Yeah. Well, and the time lapse <laughs> camera uh, wasn't hooked into external power and conked out like a third of the way through the mm-hmm. flight. It's like just starting to get like really high and then boop. So yeah. there's a couple yeah. quick little shots from that in the dock, but it was almost useless, unfortunately. And it's an extreme environment, obviously, for people, but for cameras too, right? I mean, uh, one of, uh, in the dock that you see it, but uh, one of Blair's Sony 7 or 5s the LCD just quit, 
right? Yeah. Camera's working, but LCD quit. Like weird things like this where just the pressure changes and all, like it, it can impact things in ways that you never thought it would. So that was a question was for it. What, <laughs> it yeah, was harrowing. Somebody asked in the comments I read before we got on, it was like how the LCD, like what happened? Like the answer is we don't know. The we LCD know. eventually came back like two days later. The cam- we were going to send the camera to Sony and be like, what broke? Mm-hmm. And then it yeah. suddenly revived itself. But like something so, uh, happened up there, we can't explain. Yeah. Jordan, what's seven R five got scared? Um, <laughs> so I had, I kind of wanted to have two options in my back pocket. So I shot with the Panasonic S five two as my main body for that, uh, and that was because it's very good low light, and I knew we were going to be shooting indoors quite a bit for this, and have like rapidly changing lighting situations Uh, and i know how to work with vlog very well in high contrast so it saved us a lot like the exposure difference you can see where we follow blair out of where he was getting suited up into the like ambulance look at what would you call that like uh the bread ice cream truck truck. they called it yeah yeah Um, bread truck (laughs) Yeah, the yeah, exposure right. difference was just crazy there. So that's where I needed to be like recording log and be able to anticipate that stuff. And the autofocus came in handy a few times. You know, like if you just have a clear blue sky, it was nice to just be able to like throw it in autofocus. It's going to find the most contrasty part of yeah. the frame. Uh, that was really nice. Um, and then, um, and that was pretty much exclusively with the 24 to 70 that I used that. Uh, and then I also brought the GH6, and that's where the really fast readout of Micro Four Thirds was hugely important because um, we could shoot, you know, 4K 120 without a crop. So if suddenly I needed slow motion, I had it pre-programmed. Spin the dial, we're in super slow motion. I don't have to reframe or anything; just quickly yeah. re-expose. Um, that was really important for that. So there's a lot of stuff where you'll see a wide and then cut to slow motion of the exact same moment. A lot of the time I was running S5.2 at 24 frames per second, GH6 (laughs) at high frame rate. So we'd have some options there. Uh, But also that has my two favorite lenses, the 10 to 25, 25 to 50. Um, So I've got an actual mechanical focus clutch and my muscle memory with those two lenses is just like, I don't even think about it pulling focus at this point. It's second nature. Yeah. Uh, and I needed that for the doc. So those were my two. What did you choose, Chris? Well, so this is interesting because as we talked about, we had different roles. Jordan was doing more movement. Rolling charts could be a big deal. I actually went with the Sony a7R5. My LCD did not conk out at uh, at ground level at all. And uh, it was an interesting choice because, of course, the a7R5, great camera, but not necessarily a good video camera, has rolling shutter issues. But I anticipated shooting in uh, Super 35 mode, like a cropped mode for most of the shoot because I wanted extra length. I wanted to be more apart with telephotos, capturing tight shots. Um, it does do some decent slow-mo in crop mode. The quality's nice. And I kept my movements pretty minimal. So it actually, I think, worked out really well. And really, it's because I wanted that excellent autofocus. Yeah. Um, even with like Blair with like a face mask down, you can see his eyes, but he's got a helmet on. It still grabbed the eyes. Um, I knew that it would focus very precisely. I was using 24 to 70 and 7200 G Masters, the second versions. And the actual shooting experience was very reliable. I enjoyed it. I thought it did a great job. Um, Jordan did a fantastic job grading that all. So it all looked seamless. And yeah, I was going to ask like, so were you both shooting in log and then the grading process was super easy. So low contrast stuff. I was in Panasonic's like 709, my favorite profile on theirs. Chris was on S Cinetone. 
Um, and I was actually surprised how well those two matched, which might explain why I like both of them. They're very, very yeah. similar. <laughs> uh, and then any high contrast stuff. I mean, we just kind of look at we each other. Log. We know, switch it over to log uh, yeah. so we can capture that. And that was a little bit more difficult to actually match those two up. Um, but, you know, eventually we got there. But there was a lot I was doing, like very selective adjusting a specific color channel <laughs> to try and match them up. Uh, it, that took a little bit of work in post. And thank Thank God I had several months <laughs> to work on this documentary. Uh, that's an opportunity I probably won't get many other times. I think it's worth pointing out too, Chris, you did have a second camera for interviews. Um, and they were the only two Sony cameras at the time that had their like, I'm doing it, the AI module. I say in quotes. quotes. Air quotes. Yeah, uh, which is, <laughs> it does definitely improve the video yeah. autofocus. Um, that's why we, you know, there were A1s floating around and stuff like that, but we've just found that uh, that processor makes a huge difference for video autofocus. Uh, what did you think of the ZV-E1, Chris? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I didn't really enjoy shooting it, but as a backup <laughs> camera, it was... I was trying to prompt a more dramatic thing because every time I'd be like, can you use the ZV for this? And it's like, God, like no, no, I hate that camera. Hell no. <laughs> it's very hard to see it. that display, right? Especially out oh, there in dude. the blazing no sun. No EVF. Yeah. And, uh, and I yeah, very few controls. <laughs> I basically used, I brought it as a second camera, you know, as a backup or different angles or different lenses. But in the end, I hated the experience so much. Uh, that I, I basically relegated it to a slow-mo cam. And I got some nice slow-mo shots with it, and I liked it. But, man, yeah. But interviews, it's fine. As a side note, the interviewing was probably the hardest part for me, the most stressful part for me, mm. because first off, coming up with the questions, you know, because that's a big part of the narrative. I've interviewed people before, but, you know, you're interviewing a, a camera company executive talking about their gear, right? Or, you know, a Leica executive about the experience and the heritage. And that's that's fine, but it's not they don't tend to cry in front of you. Uh, you don't tend to talk to Leica or Sony or Sigma about their possible impending death. Yeah. Um, and how or their spouse's impending death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm interviewing. So that was, a, it was really exhilarating, but it was very difficult and stressful um, having to have those conversations with somebody. And, and yeah, you see, actually, I was surprised and I, and I really appreciate how candid Blair was with his emotions because like, he was going through a lot. You don't, you can't really understand it. We were talking to him and he's going through a lot of like ups and downs and we touch on it, but you can't understand it unless you're actually there. And I'm sure what we saw is 10% of what his wife, Aaron and his friend, Mike, and you know what they saw. So yeah, it's, it was really, I mean, we're in the thing uh, at the, at the air force base. And I remember one slide coming up where it was your bad day now worse, right? Like, and, and, they're trying to make it humorous because that's the only way you can get through the fact that you might get electrocuted by power lines or you might have a massive decompression or whatever. And, and we were actually able to sit in on a lot of those trainings. So it was really kind of eye-opening to see what they're explaining, what he's going through. Um, it was it was crazy. I've on a happier some, note. I've seen some rather ahead. cynical response oh, to like how he how he reacted to this. Like you guys have absolutely yeah. no idea i i'm not going so <laughs> i have done some of these before because i've i've flown and shot out of fighter jets and the amount of training that you have to be told like here's what happens if the pilot says it's time to like go now yeah. you do not hesitate you have to pull on a very specific set of things and once you have ejected you now have the responsibility to do several other things in a very specific order or you die <laughs> now <laughs> in a u2 
all of that is dramatically exacerbated because sure. the altitudes you're going to, if you have to do that at a, after a certain point, you're going to try, but very likely you're not going to make it. Uh, yeah. Even if you do everything correctly, you're so <laughs> high up, it's over. Um, yeah. And there are so many instances. And he says it in the doc. He's like, you have to kind of get through all the ways they tell you that you could die. Yeah. And it's just like one after another, they just start piling. And then you are being told yeah. that you have to remember to do certain things in specific situations, how to survive if a tree or a power line or rocks or wind or what happens if your um, your your parachute tangles on the way out? What, how do you repair that? What if it doesn't tangle, yeah. but then a cable doesn't do something you expected it to? And you then have remember, to remember like, all that? And, and then remember, like people have gone up in these planes before, like civilians, but it's it's pretty much always been a like, enjoy this experience, right? But Blair's not, he's going up to do work. So you have to push all that aside and start, you know, being able to focus on, okay, I got to get the shots. I have responsibilities here. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So it's just, it's the usual internet. Lots of armchair warriors just well, being and like, it's also oh, like it, I could have done better without crying. Send me up, coach. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so on. like something else worth mentioning is like, yeah, they've sent other people up and yeah, they've, they've, they've all survived. But also there are people who have not. On the yeah, way yeah, into the bar that is restricted just for the the U two pilots, there's a little like eight and a half by eleven piece of paper behind a frame, and it lists twenty thirty names in order of the people who have died in a U two. Yeah. Like it's very real when you look at the names. So I I, I don't know. It, it it's very upsetting when people are like trivializing yeah. how dangerous <laughs> this was. Yeah. Well, and I also think it was a different thing for us capturing him. Cause I didn't know Blair before we got there, but you're like hanging yeah. out with this dude at a certain point. It's like, you know, we haven't known him for very long, but you start to actually care and like hope he lives through this. Cause we're on the ground. We have no idea. And we tried to bring some of that tension into the documentary as well. Cause it's not like I was like, Oh, let's just try and amp up the drama. Like I was very concerned for him. And we tried to convey that in the doc as best we could. Yeah. On a happier note, uh, there were some cool things that happened. Uh, first off, we went to, uh, I think it's Marisco's El Capitan. Great Mexican restaurant. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we found a seat. Jordan always wants seafood. Like anywhere we travel, Jordan's like seafood. Yeah, we so weren't we really in a restaurant. seafood Mecca. We were in <laughs> Yuba in City. Yuba, California. More of a Mecca but, than Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot you know of Mexican what? restaurants in Yuba City. And the ones that we picked, the one that we picked, as well as the breakfast spot we picked, were oh, both like... Yeah. Solid. Fantastic. You go in there, everybody's speaking Spanish, all the clients speak, they're like, okay, this is probably a good place to go. And the food was great. Service great. So check it out if you're there. Um, also, we went to Starbucks because, you know, um, oh, and right. <laughs> the Starbucks, we go to the Starbucks in Yuba and we go to the drive-thru and I see one chicken. I'm like, okay. It's That's Cal- I don't know. It's California. Maybe it escaped out of somebody's backyard. No. Then I see another chicken. Then I see five more chickens. Then I see like 40 chickens. Then I see like 160 chickens in this one Starbucks parking lot. It blew my mind. It and we asked at the window, like, is this normal? They're like, yeah, it's the chickens. <laughs> it's the chicken Starbucks. I know the whole I, I, plaza I, like, was full of chickens. It's not like we were at a Starbucks sitting alone in a field. This was like, you know, a mini no. mall, just a, <laughs> right. like, a stand, like this restaurants. So there's like a little shopping center and just chickens. Do you, you have Concrete that? Chickens. Do you saw that video? Oh, I do. It's on my phone. I'll I'll send it to you so we can drop okay. that in. This I'm gonna put. Yeah, I'll put it in. If like you're right watching here. on YouTube, yeah, check it the out. The chickens. The chickens. Yeah. No, it was a great experience overall. I, the last thing I want to touch on, just as a side point, you know, I got you know, we'll talk about this, but um, the U two spy planes themselves are really cool. I mean, it's a Cold War airplane that's been sort of upgraded over the years, but 
it's a really important part of aviation history. And we had to make a difficult choice to not talk about it that much, even though we did shoot a lot about it, just because we wanted to focus on the emotional impact and the goal of, of the mission, these yeah. photographs, the mission. But there was so much there that we kind of left out because it's, ah, uh, but I do want to let people know we have more videos coming from this project. So absolutely watch for those. Cause we've got stuff talking about a lot of the gear, a lot of the, the history. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. I, it was a really tough process. First pass on this was 46 minutes long uh, mm-hmm. before I even had any of the GoPro footage of the mission itself. And yeah, at a certain point, you just have to be like, look, that what we're trying to do is talk about the project itself. And definitely like the plane itself is something that did get left a little bit on the cutting room floor. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And there's definitely check out like Blair's photos of it and things like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we asked like, why have they been using these things for so long? Uh, more details about the uh, the plane itself. And I don't know, maybe if the doc takes off here, we could do some like <laughs> drop some deleted scenes somewhere. That An hour long director's cut? That no, absolutely not. I'm not cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if anyone has any specific questions after, so yeah. by the time that we'll be able to respond to these, we'll have published uh, at least one more worth watching about this uh, this project. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask them, uh, if you have any questions that you'd like us to ask Blair, we're going to see if we can get Blair on the podcast to to discuss some more stuff about it. Yeah. Um, we're we very open about it. Come ask us, submit them through SpeakPipe link in the des- in the description or in, you know below the like button, uh, and uh, yeah, or just you know write a comment, send an email, whatever you like. We're, we, we'd love to chat more about this. If you've got specific questions on like the gravity of, of how difficult this was. <laughs> um, so one last thing I want to note is uh, you can look at the edit of like Blair's photos and think that they are way over processed. I do want to point out that the colors that you're seeing from up above the earth are what his camera actually captured caused by a yeah. variety of things. Uh, the atmosphere itself, the optics, the canopy, just the angles where the sun is, all that stuff is he, that was not added in post. That is, that was real. He, I mean, you, you, you edit it and you may, you know, you know, enhance them slightly but like that's what he saw and that's what his camera yeah, saw it's very cool shots very yeah cool and shots. uh my favorite of the uh u2 shots where the frost is creeping around the window yeah. that that's just gives you so much context i think that's an amazing photograph yeah say I, I like that one too so. oh as a sidebar while we're talking about like getting in touch with us uh if you like things like this please like spread the word i mean the <laughs> the best way for us to be able to say like look we want to do more cool projects you know showing amazing things people are doing and you know like camera reviews are great uh they're great chris but, they are uh, great but if you want to see more stuff like this, absolutely like share it, you know, um, it's nice pass to it do around. something different yep. and tell different stories. We have at least three other projects of similar, mm-hmm. like in the same, not, you can't say it's in the same vein, but stuff that's, we're the sending beyond, more photographers to space. <laughs> one every month. <laughs> stuff that would go in our beyond the frame series, which is more than just gear. We're telling actual yeah. stories about stories. people doing cool things or really neat technology that involves imaging in some way. We have other ones we'd like to do. But if if they you know we they need they need to be good people need to like them I mean I know they're good I love I love the doc just I, I'd people like need to, to see watch them you got to watch them yeah otherwise it's hard to justify the these are not cheap to produce so <laughs> I'm just hoping people actually appreciate them um okay let's uh let's move on what you guys you can, get up to let's yeah what do we what have we been doing well obviously I mentioned it already but my my 
I'm packing. I'm moving. I'm prepping yes. the, the my new the, studio. The back of, ready your, in a couple weeks. of your studio is quite bare. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. What about you guys? Uh, I actually, well, I've been editing a doc for a lot of it. That's what I was saying last week as well. <laughs> we were kind of in crunch time on it. But I had had a few little windows where I've gotten to enjoy myself. And a new season of How To with John Wilson just dropped. Are you, either of you too familiar with it? I think Chris is. I know we watched I'm, an episode yeah. with him. Yeah. Uh, new season just came out. It's a guy who does video essays around New York, um, which sounds like it would be pretty dry, but the directions that some of these go, like he'll start out being like, what, why is there so much scaffolding in New York and wind up at like a cult ceremony and things like that. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that sounds uh, very specific. It's actually so. fascinating. It, it really is. And it's just got such a raw, like it's just a dude running around with an, it's an FS five, two, like a camera <laughs> we used to use to shoot the camera store show like eight years ago. Um, but uh, it's just chose, you know, all the technical stuff in the world. If you can tell a story and kind of throw the audience for a curveball regularly, then you can make something. I mean, it's an HBO show. You know, it's like um, after The Last of Us, check out this dude running around with a handy cam in New York City. And uh, I would say, in a lot of ways, they're equally compelling. So <laughs> uh, if you want a good laugh and, you know, see how people can produce something creative without a whole lot of budget and things like that, I think it's really incredibly inspiring and it rocks yeah. very cool uh i didn't do too much i mean jordan and i went fishing which is amazing um for one of our videos hopefully you guys will check it out and see that soon but yes it was very rough it was very wet he uh he did you yell at me no i, I, I so. did i did that thing where i like once. put my head down like this and i talk like this while we're yeah, doing you got, you got because, snippy yep but <laughs> But uh, that's the theme no, of no. this episode is aggravated Jordan <laughs> <laughs> and chilled out Chris. Yeah. But no, that was, so we got through it and uh, it wasn't a disaster. Did he but, catch anything? Uh, he'll, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. We caught fish. Oh, Not we, caught like fish. Jordan specifically. No, I, oh, I he wasn't fishing. Cold. I was, I was filming. He caught yeah. a cold. Oh, I got, I got chilly. Um, that was also where I was like hiding our ACAM gear in the rain. That's right. And, got uh, it. No, same shoot. Uh, it'll be out very shortly. So you can all look forward to that. Yeah. But now I'd like to go on a rant. So, um, <laughs> what you? <laughs> in, right. in in honor of the U two program, I brought you know I got the milestone of flight here. I got my World War two uh, modern uh, fighter aircraft of World War two. Um, I, I don't want to make a generalization here, but I'm going to sound like an old guy because I know that like young people still read books, kind of, sort of. But um, I wonder, like, I have a question, like. As a kid, I loved, I guess what I would call like reference books of technology. So I did love planes. I watched Top Gun. I'm like, that's it. Jordan's going to be my goose. I'm going to be Maverick and we're going to fight, uh, you know, the Libyans or something. But, you know, <laughs> it no was, to I love that stuff. And so listen. I had these books like modern aircraft <laughs> books where you can go through and just see like schematics and all the thrust, you know, uh, values and what kind of armament and like, you know, they'd have 3d pictures with a honeycomb construction and what a loom. It was great. And I love that stuff. I poured through that for hours and hours and hours. And I don't know if people still do that. Like are those kind of historical reference books and stuff with stats and figures still something that people buy, especially young people. I know my kids don't really find much interest in that. So uh, I'm going on a rant. And so I love that. And if, if you like it too, that's a great book. I, I can't find my modern aircraft book, but does every, anybody care what my favorite Soviet Union World War II fighter plane is? Yeah, I want to know immediately, as soon as no, possible. No, you don't. Tell me now. 
It's the Lavochkin LA7 and the LA5, beautiful dog fighters. Maybe not the best fighter they made, but they're just amazing dog fighters. And when in doubt, I'll always go radial engine. Okay, next. Who wants to uh, I will say, as far you know, the, you're describing like the honeycomb, like pull apart. There was one that they did for Star Wars where they showed like every vehicle and every like they did. The, I, I liked that. Yeah, book. I remember it. That is, yes, I remember that book too. So, yeah, I, sure. I never had like a reference book or anything like that, but I would like fixate on um, like those um, behind the scenes movie books. That's what I would like. Any behind the You've scenes always been the like same that. person, Jordan. I really of course have. You would, yeah. I, I just got locked into a thing when I was a teenager and nothing changed. <laughs> nothing changed. All right. Let's, let's, let's talk some tech support. We got a few yeah. questions to answer. So the first one is from Jason Werman. Can one of you guys explain the, Base ISO differences between shooting video and log and in photos. Typically, base ISO for photos is around 100, but shooting video, it's 400, 800, 1600, et cetera. Why is there such a difference? Specifically said one guy, so go for it, Jordan. Okay. So um, essentially what happens, we determine the ISO based on where middle gray sits in your image. And it is much further down the histogram in or the waveform, if your camera is smart and good, uh, than it is when you're shooting a very punchy, classic um, profile. Uh, and that's to make room for the extra highlight information that you get when you're recording log. It has more dynamic range. That's the benefit. As a result, it pushes that up. And this leads to a really common misconception. I remember when the first A7S came out and base ISO was 3200 and people are like, what? I'm going to need like 12 stops of ND. But that was giving you a lot of high. Most of the dynamic <laughs> range was on the highlight side. The shadows were noisy and terrible. So you had to overexpose that image by like three, four stops. Um, so you actually weren't um, requiring as much ND as you might have initially thought. Um, but still a little bit more. And generally, you'll find it's like a stop and a half to two stops, um, less exposure you want to give it to shoot when you're shooting log so that you don't clip those highlights. Um, but yeah, that's why they do it. And it is confusing. I prefer the way cinema cameras work, where it's just like your native ISO and your secondary ISO. Because if you are to hold up a light meter and dial in, you know, your logs native ISO and your shutter speed, it will give you an underexposed image, which would be bad and noisy. So um, <laughs> basically it's quite confusing, but you don't have to worry about it as much as you might think you do. Generally, you're looking at like, you know, a mm -hmm. stop to two stop exposure difference between shooting standard and shooting log. Very nice. Can I just add on to that same topic? My favorite World War II fighter plane uh, on the American side, even though you got the P-47D Thunderbolt and the P-38 Lightning, beautiful planes, the F-4U Corsair, it still has to be the P-51 Mustang because it's so American. It was like a hot rod in the sky, powerful liquid-cooled uh, engine. Did someone else say that lines, recently? Just, uh, yeah, okay. Anyways, you do know keep, that this podcast going. has a general limit on time, right? <laughs> no, I don't. Not, not, we're not how I'm concerned. No. Okay. Uh, this next one is from Luke Christopher. It was actually an email um, to me. This is rare. I'm actually being asked a question. He says, I'm loving the podcast. I nerd out to gear and it's great to get your insights and defend Canon a bit. I'm a longtime user and now R5 and R6 too, but I'm looking to get an R3 because I want a usable silent shutter for photojournalism. I love the grip body and going to do more video. I heard you mention you were on a shoot with Jordan and Chris and you had your R3 sounded secret. Well, yes, it was. And now you know what it was. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not secret. I was on the phone with CPS the, the other day and they said I might want to hold off for a few weeks because there will be an announcement. That's really weird for them to say. I mm -hmm. still want the R3, but not sure if it will be if I will sell the R5 or R6 too. I love the R5 for stills and record video externally. My question is, do you think the R1 will come out before the R5 too? If the latter, I might hold off on the R3 for a bit. I've loaned the R3 a couple of times and I love the feel. 
and prefer the look to the files in the R5. I will say that I enjoyed my time shooting with the R3 more than I have enjoyed shooting pictures in general in a very long time. I think the R3 gets a lot of flack and probably rightfully so because it is of its price. I think it is grossly overpriced for what it is. But if you were to ignore that entirely, the camera is fabulous. Uh, it never failed me a single time during that entire time we were out there. Shifting lighting conditions, different focal lengths, didn't matter. Nailed eyes every time. So you're, the thing about, like, should you get one? And do you think the R1 will come out before the R5 too? I personally think there's something wrong or was with the R1 sensor. I, they may have addressed it by now, but it pushed the R1 by a year more than they wanted it to. So I do not actually anticipate the R1 coming out until next summer. If you can hold until then, maybe. But then also bear in mind the R1 is going to be a resolution based one. You may not get the speed that the R3 has. But then again, it may also lower the price of the R3. So there's that. Yeah. Um, do I think the R5 II will come out first? Yes. Yeah, I, th I think <laughs> I that think makes sense for the next yeah. body. I, uh, Jer I, I do want to say, like, um, people should check out the article on Petapixel because Jaron shot a bunch of BTS that I actually hadn't seen until he shared the link with me yesterday. Uh, there's a lot of really cool photos uh, that you took with those. But I'm curious, what is the ratio, would you say, of R5 versus R3 photos mm. in that? R5 was mainly indoors where I was using the wider focal length. So I had the 24 to 70 on the R5 and I had the 70 to 200 on the R3. So most yeah. of the outdoor stuff, all of the stuff when he's like near the jet, um, the I was shooting both in the, in the chase vehicle during the land. Uh, so that's very mixed. But I would say it's almost 50-50 uh, what I was using. And there are actually certain times where the R5 was too slow. Uh, like the the memory card, it, could, it couldn't, the buffer gave out. And I was just like, nope. I had to drop it and pull the R3 out and then I could yeah. fire basically at will. Um, I do remember a very specific point where I was like, whoa, my R5 suddenly is not working. Oh, it's because it's writing. Yeah. So I had to pull the R3 out. But um, I think I'm actually more excited for the R5 too, right? Because uh, I mean, the R6 II came out. It's an amazing camera. It really updated it. So I think an R5 II has got to be coming out soon. And uh, everybody loves the R5, right? Just like everybody loves the Supermarine Spitfire, which was UK's preeminent technological World War II fighter. But I actually prefer the Hawker Hurricane only because its, it's rugged cloth construction fuselage was able to take damage and come home, be repaired easily and go up. And really it was the Hawker Hurricane that I feel won the Battle of Britain and largely saved the United Kingdom. He's oh still God. going, Jaron. Uh, Jesus. Uh, okay. Uh, hopefully that hel helps answer your question, Luke. Not the thing that Chris just said, the <laughs> actual answer to your question. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we have another question from, how do you, I am. <laughs> imbecile. I am, I am imbecile. imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually just now processing that. Aren't we all in some way? <laughs> Question from a relatively new photographer. I was looking into adapting a full frame <laughs> lens to a micro four thirds camera and I can't seem to find legitimate information. I know the focal length changes, but I would also like to know what happens to the magnification ratio. Yeah. Uh, OM system themselves claim MFT sensors also double the magnification ratio. Mm -hmm. So they're 90 macro is equivalent to a four to one magnification. But from what I can tell, the ratio describes the difference between the size of the subject in actuality and the size of the subject on the sensor. If you could give me a definitive answer of what's going on here, I would be grateful since I've been getting conflicting answers for different sources. Yeah. So, yeah, it, 
essentially you you can't get something for nothing. So if your macro lens does one-to-one, it does one-to-one no matter what sensor it's on. The fact is though that smaller sensors are are giving you a tighter field of view. And so it, it gives you the appearance that you're closer. It gives you the appearance you're more magnified. Technically, you're not, right? Um, and, and there are downsides then to having that crop and being smaller sensor and stuff. So I would say in terms of if you want to look at it comparing between full frame to APS-C to micro four thirds, you're not really gaining something for nothing, if that makes sense. You are just cropping tighter and you could do that on a full frame sensor and you'd roughly get the same kind of result. Yeah, there's so much confusion because some companies use their full frame equivalent magnification uh, yes. just in terms of how much of the frame the object is taking up. But of course, it's a smaller sensor. Um, that's super annoying. Like, I, I do think that's quite deceptive. I just want to know the magnification. And we can always say, you know, which is equivalent to blanket, you know, like this, a four to one magnification yeah. on a full frame chip. But uh, yeah, I don't love it, frankly. All right. Last tech support for the day. This one is a speak pipe. So we're going to listen to it. Love and it's speak from pipes. Beach Bum Bo, who has an outstanding voice. Let's listen in. Okay. Hello, fellas. My name is Bo, and I do VO. Uh, I've been shooting video for years, and I'm just now starting to get into photo, uh, particularly Astro. And I'm trying to learn how to shoot the uh, Milky Way. But there's that 500 rule, whatever deal. Um, that I keep hearing about, but every time I watch some tutorial on it, I have to assume that they're speaking in terms of full frame. I'm shooting on the Canon M50 Mark II using the EFM 22 millimeter uh, f2. So, isn't there? Don't you have to take into consideration, even with that 500 rule, the 1.6 times crop? Can either one of you or any one of you three explain it to me, please? Thank you. Love the show. Love the channel. Love the podcast. I appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful voice. I could see why you do Vo, Bo. And, uh, you know, this is next this time is I'm sick. If you want to co host this show, you've definitely <laughs> got the tones for it. As long as you got a face for, for uh, podcasting. Um, so when it comes to astrophotography, first off, the 500 rule is a pretty okay rule of thumb to figure out how long you want your shutter speed to go for. The problem is if it goes too long, you're going to get star trails. You get little kidney bean shaped stars instead of round stars. But I would say the 500 rule is a little bit outdated. Uh, but to answer your first question, Bo, yes, you have to take into account the crop. So effectively, when you factor in a one and a half times or 1.6 times crop factor, or even two times crop factor for micro four thirds, it actually means that you have to go with shorter exposure times than what you get on full frame. A lot of people now, uh, what they actually do is a 300 rule. So start yeah. with 300 and divide it. It means shorter exposure times, um, but it seems to make more sense for modern cameras because the other thing is higher megapixel cameras, you're going to see these kind of issues sooner. So it's uh, it's just better to, to be a little bit more conservative with your shutter speed times. They have to be shorter. And honestly, with astrophotography, don't be afraid to raise your ISO. Obviously, a, a wider aperture lens is beneficial to get as much light as possible. If you can stack exposures, then you can really get rid of some of the noise the ISO will cause. Um, to answer your second question, uh, although the BF-109 was a famous line of fighters from Germany, it's really the Focke-Wulf 190A that I think is their most beautiful, uh, again, just gorgeous design, rugged, happening? very multi-purpose. I've, I've gone I've from control. being furious to being amused by it again so <laughs> I, I, good I, there you go yeah so I, you'll come hands, around jaron you'll get there you'll get my the hands are on the steering wheel but the car is not responding <laughs> <laughs> okay 
Uh, that's it for tech support this week. We're going to move on to never read the comments to close out the show as usual. And that's the place where we always read the comments. Uh, we got one from Ada Auto. I just wanted to bring up here because he says comment out of the blue. Sorry, I recently came upon battle at F stop Ridge video. Would love to see a battle <laughs> at F stop Ridge 2023. <sighs> okay, so here's the thing. Everybody <laughs> has asked for this. And I have said repeatedly, if I can come up with 10 good photography jokes for a battle, I will yeah. do it. I feel like we rushed and did battle at F stop Ridge two with a lot more people. We talked about it. I think a couple weeks ago, a lot mm -hmm. more people, terrible environment. Um, and we had <laughs> yeah, very few jokes and no one watched it because it wasn't that <laughs> yeah. good where the first one we had all jokes and no production value and it turned out great. That's so hilarious about it. if I come up with some, then sure, but I'm not going to make one because it was popular <laughs> and now we could do it with much better production value. Uh, I want to make sure I have funnies. The true sequel I would say to battle at F stop Ridge, if you ever get a chance is we made a video called the world photo games that came out during the Olympics. Uh, where we did a whole bunch of photography related sports and we've got someone like doing a sprint and chugging a bottle of Dectol. We've got a, um, what the floor routine where we pull out a reel of film. Uh, it's great and no one's seen it. So definitely <laughs> check that out. If you want to see like the spiritual successor to battle yeah. at F stop Ridge, I'd say. Um, Gick lab is, uh, has commented on, um, basically the podcast last week where we were talking about Sony's gigantic, uh, library of cameras he says we received a shipment of original a7 cameras earlier this year and the last one yeah. sold in march or april <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually we, we, were get, we were getting a lot of comments about um like a camera store not our not the camera store but you know various camera store staff former and, and present that you know we're saying like yeah we're still able to get some of these older sony so you're talking about how there's so many sony cameras we talked about how a lot of them are discontinued and these people are saying like we still do get some stock and people still want these because the prices are so good on them. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that they're still out there. Yeah. And it kind of made yeah. the kind of exemplifies the issue we were talking about even more. So yeah. if there's more cameras available than the ones that we covered all 18 of them, that's a, yeah. that's rough. Okay. Well, next and someone one. else also, just very quickly brought up the yeah. point that like we talked about the a seven two where it had a whole bunch of features you could unlock by going to the play memories <laughs> store and oh, buy yeah. an app. <laughs> which has yeah. been defunct now for a very long time. So if you read the manual, it's like, if you want to shoot a time-lapse, just go to the play memory store. This is a brand new camera where you're not yeah. going to be able to like get major features supported anymore. It's and so silly. That wasn't in there. And of course, like Sony's a huge company, as everybody knows, they're a Japanese company. And although the P5M0 is like the Gosh. quintessential Japanese World War II fighter aircraft, I mean, it's done so much. Uh, it's actually interesting that the Navy and the Army were totally separate divisions. They didn't work together. And my favorite plane from Japan, they made a lot of great ones, is the KI-84 uh, Nakajima Hayate. Beautiful plane, strong radial engine, plagued by manufacturing issues because it was late war and Japan was losing. But just a gorgeous fighter, gorgeous dog uh, fighter, and very, very strongly armed. I'm done now. I'm done. No more. Uh, just if anybody want to know my favorite French or Italian planes, Jaron has said, no, he's, I haven't said anything. Guy. I've just and been looking it's at not, you. I can tell. I can, I can, I can, I can tell. I, I want to say when we went to a like spy bar, when we were shooting this documentary, Chris was like <laughs> desperately like going up to all the pilots to talk like jets and things like that. Um, oh, I loved it. He was yeah. so in his element and I was like, oh man, I'm just going to go chat with the pilots wives. And I had a great time because <laughs> I'm like, they I were all really like everything 
everything that Chris is saying right now, my eyes just glaze right over. So, uh, yeah, it was good <laughs> that we both found companionship. That night. <laughs> oh, yeah. The T-38 is a cool oh, trainer. At least similar to the F5A Tiger. Just gorgeous. Uh, anyways, keep going. Um, See? This is my brain. It's just like it gave out. Um, uh, so, Z Destructor. There are so many yes. camera and lens shootouts. Why not do an actual whole system shootout or system review on a somewhat regular schedule? I reckon yearly would be pretty reasonable, question mark. This would be incredibly helpful to new photographers who are coming from nothing and give you the sort of freedom to talk about general traits of systems, like how one system has a larger proportion of lenses with lots of breathing or how some systems rely on more heavier corrections processing to deliver image quality they promise. Thoughts? Yeah. I loved when you did that podcast with Ted, Jaron, uh, where you like ranked the lineups of all the different mounts. Uh, I think that was like one year in to the R ma- RF mount. And, oh, uh, yeah. Z I did mount. a series I thought that was Petapixel. a great episode. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a totally useful video series. And, I mean, the difference that we'd see, <laughs> as, like comparing, you know, RF to Z, where they are now, than even a couple of years ago, it's the dynamics have completely changed. Uh, so that would be really cool, and I'd like to do it. It's tough. Okay. Like I, I, I love that Zid Destructor pointed out yearly would be pretty reasonable because this would be a ton of work, right? Because I don't know if it's even feasible in a video, to be honest, if we're going through like the whole system, all the benefits and, and weaknesses of the cameras, even in a very abbreviated form, would still be a logistical nightmare and might not actually fit in a video format. Podcast. But as a podcast... That actually could be something we might be able to do. It might take multiple episodes. I don't know, but that there's, it is absolutely an interesting and valuable reference to have. Um, Maybe someone should make like a reference book like this with all the camera systems, giving all of the stats and all, I mean, that's deepreview.com, I guess, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Two more. Uh, This one is from Mario Imperial. Uh, This was an email. Hi, guys. Really like your videos and reviews you do on long, online. Also wanted to say that I ended up buying my camera, Fujifilm XS10, last year from all the reviews you made on it. So thanks so much. Great camera. I have been looking at buying my first telephoto lens, which I'll be using for landscape travel photography, and saw that the Fujifilm 70-300mm would be a good option for me, also from one of your videos. But I yeah. just saw your video today on the Sigma 100-400mm to lens. I know they are not direct competitors, but given that their price is not that hugely different, I was wondering if you would have any recommendation on which one to go for if you were in my situation. Mm. The Sigma lens would be, give me the extra reach above 300, but I don't know whether there is anything else you think I would compromise on if I were to go to the Sigma over the Fujifilm. I, you wouldn't be compromising too much, but it's slightly slower, and, and it is still a little bit bigger and heavier, yeah. although, again, the Sigma is, for what it does, quite compact. Um, but you know, you stated at the start, this is really for landscape and travel. And so in that regard, I feel like the advantage might still be with the Fujifilm, save a little bit of money. It's slightly smaller. It's a little bit brighter. You don't necessarily need the reach. If wildlife was more of a concern for you, then I am almost always say, go for the extra range. Regardless, the Sigma is optically a really nice lens. And I think you would enjoy it. I mean, the one nice thing about the Sigma is it is an incredibly, you know, we say flat shooting lens, but like very consistent performer from center to corner because it was designed for full frame uh, where you will definitely see the corners fall off at 300, a little bit more on the Fujifilm. But I agree with Chris, like for travel, uh, I would just take the smaller, lighter body and it does balance a lot better um, if you're not going to grab the collar on those small, like an XS10, I think the Fuji will just feel like a more natural fit. I mean... 
as far as weight and sizes go, the difference there could even be like another compact prime that you might want to take with you, right? So yeah. I, yeah, I'd get probably, a little F2 uh, prime and love it. Those are brilliant lenses. Yeah. yeah. Look, we agreed on something. Oh my Rare. gosh. Uh, all right. Final <laughs> is, is an- <laughs> Final one is another speak pipe. Uh, this one is from Kevin. Let's listen in. Hey guys. A little over a year ago, I, I experienced getting my uh, full video and photo kit stolen while on a job. And after the dust had all settled, I recognized it as an opportunity to maybe do things a little differently, maybe get a, a lens with a certain look to base my kit off of. And so that made me think, if you were to create a brand new setup based off of a certain lens aesthetic, what lens would that be and what kit would you make? Uh, thanks, guys. Bye. That is an interesting question, Kevin. A very good question. So create a brand new setup based off a certain lens aesthetic. Uh, I, I assume then that what you're meaning is like the actual look of the lenses and the optics. So I'm going to go a step further and say if I personally was going to create a brand new line of cameras, like my own brand of cameras, I would want to mimic not only the lens aesthetic, but actually the camera aesthetic of the contacts cameras. I feel like they were like some of the most gorgeous cameras, not just their SLRs, but also like the the point and shoots that they made and the weird defunct digital cameras they made. They were gorgeous. So that would be both the body design and lens aesthetic. And I mean, their lenses, they were all, you know, Zeiss uh, formulas in a lot of cases. They're very sharp, beautiful coatings. We talked about this last week, maybe a little bit more clinical than some people like, but I, I think they're great. I, I mean, I can speak to like to talk about modern lenses. Um, I've definitely done this because I love the 10 to 25, 25 to 50 from Panasonic so much. Uh, you know, there are definitely some drawbacks to micro four thirds in some situations, you know, like this documentary project, I did bring a full frame body for low light performance and a little bit more dynamic range, but I will still grab those cameras all the time because those are my two favorite lenses for the work that I do. Uh, and that is going to kind of keep me wrapped up in that system. So, uh, you know, it's not a matter of me changing, although I was, you know, going way back, uh, shooting exclusively Canon, but, um, but yeah, you, the lenses can certainly tie you into a system. Yeah. But again, I mean, if we interpret this differently, Kevin might be thinking like, okay, well, if I was going to buy new lenses, like third party, I don't know what, what camera he has. I don't know, Jerome, what do you, what do you like for third party choices as far as color and, and, and the look, I mean, we don't, we, the body plays so much more of a part now in the look and color mm-hmm. of your images, but the, the lenses do have an impact. Do you have a preference? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some that I really like the care. Like we've talked about Laua a lot of the time as like, character, these are yeah. lenses with character, which can <laughs> in a, a lot of cases mean like, that. yeah, some serious <laughs> flaws, but I do love the aesthetic of those. Um, so yeah, I would certainly put that in the running. Uh, for where, yeah, like those Panasonic lenses I like so much are very, you know, clean ones. I mean, I would say any camera, my favorite, like probably lens for photography period is that Tamron 35 to 150, which is now available in two mounts. So if I were like, I'm going to go photography full time, I would invest in one of the mounts that that's available for. So it would be Z or E mount. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I like the look of the modern Tamron lenses, how they render images. But again, I think it's a pretty minor point nowadays. Not not really worth basing too much of a kit off of. I'm going to 
I'm going to get a lot of eye rolling for this, but if I, <laughs> and money is no option, I think the Leica Noctilux M75F 1.25 mm. is my favorite lens on earth. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I would, yeah. I'd shoot that lens every day if I could. Like I still really haven't had a chance to shoot the 75, but, uh, but it's yeah, so when good. Chris sent some of the images off to me, it's just like, yeah, this lens yeah. is stunning. And I also, if you can hit also, focus. If you can hit focus. And even if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's still beautiful. Um, the yeah. other one that I like that, that I would probably pair with it, and Chris would is going to disagree with me because it's his least favorite focal length, the, uh, the Summicron 35, 35, 35. Uh, F2. Yeah. Okay. But, (laughs) but I think Leica as a whole, the look to their lenses, they have a very sort of consistent character. Um, so yeah, I I would agree with you on the, the whole Leica look. Uh, but yeah, 35. But those two lenses that I just listed, how much did I just spend on lenses alone? Uh, (laughs) Oh God, we're close (laughs) to 20 K. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Well, yeah, that is going to do it for us this week. Next week where, uh, all three of us are going to be together. Sitting together yes, in a room. We can tease that a little bit. So That'll be cool. That'll be hopefully the first we'll time. Have, uh... Yeah? <laughs> hopefully what? Yeah, and hopefully we'll, we'll have a special guest uh, with us for that episode too. And uh, yeah, please watch the video if you haven't already. We're really proud of the project. And stay tuned for uh, the rest of the videos that we have from Beale Air Force Base and that amazing experience that we had. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next Thank week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.